Welcome to Distributing Solar. We speak with experts and entrepreneurs working in the off-grid solar industry around the world, bringing to life how distributed solar is changing lives in emerging markets. In this conversation, we speak with Cameron Smith, product management lead at Zola Electric. Zola Electric is one of the largest energy technology companies globally, solving energy access problems around the world. They have installed over 300,000 energy systems and currently serve over 1 million users in over 10 countries and across three continents. We speak about the challenges around product management in developing energy solutions for off-grid and on-grid markets, building hardware and software solutions for energy systems that may have significant variations in power quality and variable electrical standards, and what the differences are between customer needs and expectations across different countries and regions, for example, the differences between working in East Africa and West Africa. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us at Distributing Solar. You are working currently at Zola Electric and have a background in development more broadly. Could you start by introducing what Zola Electric is and tell us more about your operations? Zola Electric is a power solution company, and we focus on developing renewable energy technology that solves power challenges, specifically in quote-unquote challenging environments. So we started off in East Africa and now have expanded to broader sub-Saharan Africa than beyond. But within that, there are a lot of challenging energy environments from off-grid to customers that are on-grid but have very unreliable grid conditions and are managing a lot of different energy solutions. So our objective as a company is to develop power solutions that serve a variety of different needs within that landscape. So everything from off-grid power solutions for lower income users to solutions that incorporate grid, solar, generators, batteries, etc. for more middle or higher income and more urban environments, and then everything in between. And how does that work for you on a company level? A lot of companies working in this space might focus, for instance, on the lower income side, and they have a pretty clear idea of the demographic that they're targeting and the product that they need to produce or develop. But it seems as though your target customer could be a low income rural resident in a off-grid community, but it also could be someone living in a peri-urban or more urban environment. So what are the implications then for the types of products that you need to create? From an internal perspective, to just design products that meet that diversity of need, we have to have a very strong and in-depth understanding of the customer. So as the solutions that we're trying to provide increase, so does our depth of knowledge about our customers. We have to understand not just our off-grid lower income users, we also have to understand our on-grid peri-urban customers equally. So from the onset, that's core to our success. And then in terms of our solution design and solution delivery, you're absolutely right. We have multiple products that serve customer needs across that spectrum. We have two today, and we're kind of moving into to three and four solutions in the near future as well. Our first and what we launched with as a company is our DC solar home systems. It's something that people in the off-grid space will be very familiar with. It's called Zola Flex, and it is the incorporation of a solar panel with a DC electrical infrastructure for a home in a box. 
The core component of the system is what we call the power box, which combines a charge controller, a battery management system, and a lithium iron phosphate battery. That's kind of the core, the brain of the system and, and the energy storage. And then you also have the, the distribution and energy uses, which are DC appliances. So not only have we designed the power box and the power solution itself, but we've also designed an ecosystem of appliances, whether it be lights, fans, TVs, etc., to utilize that electricity. Because for off-grid customers, you know, you're giving them the electricity, but you also have to provide the devices that use that electricity because there's no guarantee that they'll have those in the home already. And there's also no infrastructure in that home to distribute the energy from one socket to another like we're used to in the Western world. So this system kind of puts all of that into a single solution. That's Zola Flex. On the other side of that, we then have Zola Infinity. And this is moving us into uh, a solution that can be both off-grid, but now on-grid, rural, peri-urban, and urban. And as a result, has to contend with a variety of different needs. You're now looking at a customer that has, for the most part, some access to electricity. You need the ability to, to intertie with the grid. You have an existing suite of appliances in the home, whether it be refrigerators, televisions. So you need to cater to AC appliances, not just provide DC appliances like we do with Flex. And for the most part, you're providing significantly more power output and significantly more energy storage. So within that, that is then the general shape of the user that we're trying to target with Infinity. So Infinity is a modular power technology. We call it an AC battery. So it basically comes in these like Lego-like building blocks where you have battery storage and power output in each block. And as the customer's need grows, you effectively add more blocks to meet their growing need. So the idea with this product, given the variability of need within this this pool of customers being peri-urban, urban, on-grid, just unreliable electricity, because there's so much diversity of need there, this product is designed to meet all of that diversity, all of that variability. So that's then Zola Infinity. And those are basically the two products that we have launched today. We have one product that we're in the process of launching now, which spans those two gaps. We call it Flex Power, which has this core DC architecture of our Flex line, but has AC power output. So it can serve both the off-grid and an on-grid customer, rural and peri-urban. And then the core vision of our Infinity product is also to be equally applicable in a microgrid architecture and as a distributed grid. So distributing your power generation, your energy storage throughout a network of users, not just having it in one centralized location. So it sounds as though you'll really be building towards a scenario where you can span the full spectrum of energy access, be that for someone who's only getting a few hours of electricity in a very rural area at the moment, all the way to someone who's looking for backup resiliency. And your role within Zola, as I understand, is working in product management. So would be really curious to understand which are the products that you've been working with and how do you think about what your customer needs are from developing the product and your product roadmap? Absolutely. In terms of what products I'm working on right now, I'm responsible for all of them for the most part. I haven't been responsible for them at all of their their life stages but now they all sit under my umbrella. I think the first part 
and and this is what I spend a lot of my time on. It's just trying to build a model for understanding who our customer is. So it's kind of a compiling and a compounding of, of demographic data and also more nuanced and qualitative profiles, just from interviews, focus groups, etc. And then from that, it's basically building an understanding of, of what those user needs are and weighing them against what is available in the market. So for our off-grid customers, there is a simplicity in that in many cases, we haven't reached a saturation of solutions such that when an individual user goes out to their marketplace, they're looking at two, three, four solutions. There's a simplicity in that you just want to provide the value that they need. It's not an exercise in differentiation, but in our higher end markets, in the infinity market, for example, it's very important that we weigh what we understand the user need to be against what is offered in the market and try to offer the user not just a solution, but a unique solution such that we're giving them more value than what's currently available. Because in this AC market, there's a history of having inverter solutions, battery solutions available. And while those have been available, they have their own challenges. You know, batteries die more quickly than the user wants. The solutions frequently don't give enough power output. So users aren't able to power their all of their appliances, whether it be an air conditioning unit or a deep freezer. So what's important to us in understanding the customer and addressing all of these needs is that we're considering the history of how our customers have been underserved, such that we're giving them something unique and that sets itself apart from our competition. So we have a much more kind of competition-focused perspective on some of our more, quote-unquote, mature markets. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to hear about. And it almost feels as though there is, on the one hand, a thinking around what kind of features and capabilities you need to offer the customer. And then on the other hand, it's almost a brand or a meeting expectations of the customers. How much of it is that some other companies are offering products and offering capabilities, but actually not living up to the expectation? And how much of the, the positioning is that Zola needs to, I guess, create a brand awareness that says that the, the brand is associated with quality and actually meeting the promise of what's being suggested? So I think the first issue is just expectation. One way that I've thought about this is that when I was a little kid, my dad was frequently disappointed with computer graphics, whether it was a movie or a video game. He always felt like computer graphics didn't live up to reality. And that was because, you know, we have a very strong understanding of what something should look like because we see it every day, whether it's kind of a computer generated image of a car, of a lion, whatever. It's very easy to understand what the counterpoint is in reality. And that's kind of the issue that we have with electricity. But most people have an understanding of what electricity should be. You should be able to turn your light on at any time of day. You should be able to turn your AC on and let it run for as long as you're willing to, to pay off the bill. So there's a clear understanding of what it should be. And I think the first part of the scenario is that's what we're, we're measuring up against. High expectations. The second part is that for the most part, these are price-constrained markets. So the solutions that people are able to afford often sacrifice certain features, one of them being longevity. So it might not explicitly be that the product is over-promising and under-delivering. It could be that they buy a product that they know to last a year, you know, what fits a flooded lead-acid battery. 
And while it lives up to the performance, you know, it has a year warranty, it lasts a year. It's still a disappointment because they've put their hard-earned money into it. And it's not giving them kind of the core value of electricity, which is simplicity of life. You're trying to buy the ability not to have to think about the ability to turn on your lights or, or cool yourself down or, or refrigerate your food. But when you have all of the, this like ecosystem of very complex solutions, it very frequently doesn't live up to that reality. So because you have that price constraint, it becomes equally hard to achieve that standard that you're seeking. And then finally, there are also just a number of different solutions. And I think there's often a disconnect between understanding the solution you want and actually getting the solution that you need. So very frequently, people will buy something that, that doesn't meet their needs. So in many cases, you're right. It's, it is about branding. It is about building recognition that Zola is a reliable brand. It's about overcoming some of those stereotypes and some of those challenges it speaks to just the challenge of doing business in this space because it is such a complex ecosystem. And you mentioned briefly that some customers may be buying products that don't meet the needs or are not suited to their needs. What do you encounter in that space? Is it that they buy products thinking that they maybe need 100% uptime or what are the scenarios? I think one issue to point to, and this is something that we see a lot in West Africa, there's a very significant difference between expectations and trends in East and West Africa. And then as you move geographies, if you're looking now at South America, if you're looking at parts of Asia, these expectations will change significantly. Right. Um, We'd love to come back to that. Sure. Please go on. One example is kind of a power-focused mindset. So if you think about the solution that currently exists on the market, if we're looking at Nigeria and even Lagos more specifically, the solution that's most predominantly used is a diesel generator or any type of fuel, so petrol, diesel, whatever. 95% of the city, of the country as a whole, has some sort of generator already. When you buy a generator, what do you buy? You buy a 1 kVA generator, you buy a 10 kVA generator. Well, that only indicates what can be powered, like how many appliances or or how big those appliances can be. So you have, in particular, a power-focused mindset. And a lot of people are still learning that when you're buying a renewable energy solution or when you're buying a battery solution, you're not only constrained by power output, but you're also constrained by energy storage. So one of the big constraints is that people can't actually power their appliances for as long as they want. So that's one factor. Another is the variability in consumption of individual appliances. So, for example, you buy a refrigerator today, maybe it's efficient and it consumes 150 watts. But if you bought a refrigerator five years ago, maybe that same size of refrigerator is consuming 300 watts. And if now you're looking at eight years ago, maybe that's a 500, 600, 700 watt refrigerator. There's a great deal of variability from person to person in terms of how much power that they need. And that's also something that we didn't encounter in the off-grid space. Part of the benefit of designing an off-grid solar home solution is that you control not only power generation and storage, but also consumption because you provide the appliances. So you can provide a very cost-effective solution because the appliances are efficient and you're not having to oversize your battery and your energy storage and your your solar panels in terms of, of energy or power generation. 
So there's a disconnect that's hard to characterize in just the, the sale of a system as to what the system will provide to a specific user. And very frequently in the sale process, people are incentivized to oversell. And because of this, like the structural incongruities, those aren't the people that end up kind of dealing with the, the service. So very frequently, that's then where people get disappointed because they realize, well, this actually doesn't power you know, XYZ appliance, or it doesn't power that appliance for as long as I was told that it would. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, that certainly does. What are the challenges and the features or the requirements on the product side that from the outside, you would not have expected to need to think about or work on, but that you've needed to factor into your design as you've been working on these three products? I think it's important to just flag the context that the business grew out of. So our history was as a DC business, was as a solar home solution company. And I think one of the harder challenges that we faced was reconciling that legacy with this new context. So in many cases, it's been very challenging to learn the complexity of these markets, being kind of on-grid customers, you know, higher ends with this greater variability in terms of solutions they already have in the home, in terms of generators, other solar solutions, vast diversity of appliances. I think that's been quite challenging for us in terms of just characterizing the value proposition of our product and also characterizing our sizes and making sure that we're kind of offering product increments because our product is modular. So it's been a challenge in just fitting the, the building blocks of our product to the realities on the ground. So I think that's an example. There are any number of things from variability and voltage conditions. So now that we're integrating with the grid, grid quality across the continent of Africa and the world at large can be highly variable. So if we're, we're looking at a 230 volt grid in Nigeria, our thinking at the outset might have been, you know, maybe you have 10% voltage fluctuation. But in reality, maybe it's not 10%, maybe it's 20 or 30%. So designing products that meet that variability and just in terms of performance of the existing solutions has been a learning experience. And then also one thing that was challenging out of the gate was just the way that homes are wired. There's in many places where we work, there are either limited electrical standards or those standards aren't enforced. So designing a product that is compatible across what could be minimal or absent electrical standards has also been quite challenging. Basically, the core of this is just that the world that we're now operating in has gone from something that's quite controlled, um, mm -hmm. quite focused to something that's quite large and uncontrolled. And the biggest challenges, you know, whatever the individual challenges might be, really come in the form of, of accommodating all of that. And since we came from that smaller focus, that smaller world, that's been a significant growing pain. Most companies that work in this space are much bigger, are kind of coming from the opposite direction, whether it be Western standard or otherwise, that has from their outset dealt with that, that degree of complexity and that degree of variability. It's kind of the scale, but also the, the trajectory that's informed the challenge. And how do you deal with some of those challenges? Because it seems as though if the grid is fluctuating at a 20, 30% voltage, 
that seems to be significant. And that's certainly something you can't control. And if the wiring systems within the houses are incredibly variable, that's again, something you can't control against all your potential customers. Are the solutions all technical to some degree? Is it about installing some kind of power electronic capability or other interventions or other constraints that are placed on your product as a result? It's a good question. It's a combination. So the first line of defense is designing the variability into the product. So if we catch the requirement before we've completed development or or whatever development cycle we're in, as much as possible, we try to build into the product. So for the case of voltage, we have built in the ability to accept voltage variation of wider degrees and just pass that through to the user. So In some cases like voltage and the variability there, we do have the ability from a technical level to address that. Now, in other cases, wiring, for example, there is an operational intervention. So helping basically rewire the home to code or helping rewire the home to match what the product requires. That's a kind of a real world challenge that we've encountered. And that was then handled on the operational side. But as time goes on, you know, we're now into subsequent product iterations and development cycles. We now are incorporating revisions to the products in terms of the hardware and software and firmware that help us avoid that operational challenge and and help us make this something that's a lot easier to install, not just at the product level, but also in terms of the, the, the home at large. So there's a a combination of solutions that are both technical in terms of product design and operational in terms of kind of spanning the gap between what we expected and and what we see in reality. Great. And I'm really curious to ask a bit more about that hardware, software and firmware integration, as you mentioned. I think one of the challenges of companies that are looking to integrate across the value chain is precisely that they oftentimes have to develop not just the hardware, but also the software and the firmware. How do you decide on what you buy in, what you focus your development efforts on, and what are the challenges there? So it's a lot easier today. You're absolutely right. I mean, in this industry, 15 years ago, when things were really just starting, there were very few players. Um, There were very few companies that had the resources to take on something this big and something this risky. So for the most part, they had to develop everything internally. And that's where Zola started. We now benefit from having grown up in the industry, having been here for 10 years, and now having a lot more players in this space, whether it's software platforms that are specifically focused on pay-go, having design firms that are specifically focused on off-grid challenges, off-grid power solutions. We are able to take advantage of those partners that have grown up in the space alongside of us and that have specialized in their own right. So as our business matures, we're certainly honing our, our focus and focusing on what we think we best excel at, in this case being hardware, firmware, basically the use of the power solution itself. So there is hardware, software, and firmware that falls under the power solution umbrella. So in that regard, we still do focus on all three realms, but we're not necessarily focused on payment solutions anymore. We're not necessarily focused on building uh, customer relationship management platforms that are specific to our environment. It's kind of a two-sided answer. We're absolutely trying to leverage the partners and those that have grown up in the space and offer similar or expansive services, services that expand on our value. But within our area of expertise or what we currently think that is, we are developing hardware, we are developing software, and we are developing firmware. To illustrate that point, 
With Infinity, Infinity is a hardware platform. We have developed all of the firmware that basically enables Infinity to behave as intended. But we, we also have a software team that has built out a, a smartphone app so that the users of the product can actually track their power flows. And the ambition with that is not to move just from monitoring to also improve management capabilities, improve control of the system as well. Um, so that's one side of software. The other side is just remote fleet management. So as our product line has grown, as our geographical focus has grown, as a business, we've also diversified our business model. And not only do we have a direct B2C business, but we also have a B2B business where we use distributors and developers as well. And in that regard, we even developed a software product that we call Zola Vision that is specifically enabling them to better operate with our product within their own operational framework. So it sounds like you still have to do a lot of development across hardware, software, and firmware, but you're really looking to then focus on exactly where you can provide that value differentiation. And, and if that means you don't need to, say, go into Pago or the payment system, you don't do that. Are the implications then that you partner with someone like, say, Engaza to provide that capability? Or is it exactly. that you actually have a different go-to-market strategy where maybe you don't need that Pago solution because you're selling your units directly to a B2B supplier? Yeah, it's a good question. So in this case, we aren't necessarily the ones financing the system. We're not necessarily the ones enabling Pago, but our distributors or our developers are. So in that case, we might be kind of one layer removed from the end user, but we still have to design for that B2C interaction. And within that, we have to, to design in those features. So Pago is still very critical in terms of the services that our products enable, even though we're not the ones that are extending that service to our customer. Now, not all of our users, not all of our partners, our distributors are offering Pago, but it's still critical in many areas and it's still critical for many of our distributors. That certainly makes sense. I'm curious to circle back on something you mentioned earlier, which is the, the differences between the geographies that you work in and the markets that you're looking to serve and the differences, for example, between West Africa, East Africa, South Asia and South America, potentially. Can you speak a bit about what your approach is to adapting your product for each of those geographies? And as I understand, Zola is currently working in Nigeria, Tanzania, Rwanda, Ghana and the Ivory Coast. Mm-hmm. Are those your main markets that you're catering towards at the moment, or are you looking more broadly at those other geographies around the world? This very much reflects how our business model has evolved. So historically, we have been a direct business to customer. That's how, That's been our path to market. I guess in the last two years, we've expanded not only to include that direct B2C formatting, but broadened and also service distributors as well, sell to distributors. Within our existing markets, Tanzania, we're, we're really holding to our B2C path to market, but we leverage basically both paths to market. So we sell directly and then we also sell to distributors. As we've transitioned to that distributor-focused model, it's allowed us to go elsewhere. So it has allowed us to go to other parts of sub-Saharan Africa, well, Africa as a whole, Northern Africa as well. And it's allowed us to also explore other continents, whether it be Latin America, Brazil, for example, or Asia and beyond. Our objective is to be able to address the needs of distribution partners that come to us from 
any part of the globe. Maybe not necessarily the Western world, not necessarily the U.S. or parts of Europe or Canada. There's a whole different slew of challenges that come from that space. But the intention is to be able to solve problems across as wide a geography as, as possible right now. And I'm curious, since you mentioned it, what are the challenges if you're looking to operate in the U.S. and Canada why are you not able to just take a infinity model and, and plug it into an off-grid community in the U.S. somewhere? The challenges come on a number of different levels. There are different grid requirements. There are different grid conditions. There's a potential discrepancy just in terms of the scope of needs. When you're designing a product that should be usable for kind of a middle-income customer in peri-urban Lagos, the scope of their need, maybe they need to run a refrigerator, some lights and a TV. Creating a product that is as price accessible and relevant and appropriately sized for that customer might become challenging when you're serving kind of a, an off-grid user in Colorado, for example. So it's not that it's impossible, but it's gearing appropriately the, the product features and sizing and price point that can be challenging. So. Right. Right now, our expertise is designing power solutions for challenging energy and, and electrical environments. And as, our, as we continue to mature as a business, I'm sure we'll, we'll look at those opportunities. But it's, it's more just kind of acknowledging where we are in our, our growth path. That certainly makes sense. And I guess then returning to, to the question around what are the differences within what a customer in sub-Saharan Africa or the broader African continent is looking for versus what someone in Brazil is looking for versus what someone in South Asia are looking for? What are the differences that you've seen from either a product perspective or a sales perspective that really affects what people are, are looking at? So my expertise at this point is more centered around Africa and really sub-Saharan Africa. So I'll focus on that, but I can kind of speculate from there. But I just want to acknowledge sure. that that would be speculation. So East Africa, Zola started in Tanzania and in the area surrounding Arusha, which is in the mountains. So different climate, not as hot in all areas, even moving into to Kenya. The temperatures that you see there aren't necessarily the temperatures that you're going to see in Ghana, for example, where you have extreme heat, extreme humidity. So the way that that plays out in terms of product design is the size of the product. In some cases, East African customers aren't looking to power air conditioners. There are certain key appliances of what the, the user expects and what they want to buy that changes the product and changes the understanding of the need. Now, What's key to our product is the ability to serve both sides of the equation. You want to be able to serve the lower end users that aren't looking to power those high consumption devices, as well as, you know, some of the higher consumption customers in West Africa. But that is kind of a, a key difference. Another difference is, and this isn't necessarily East Africa, West Africa, but this is something we see in, in rural versus peri-urban is the, the prevalence of smartphones. So, for example, if we're looking at a product like the Tesla Powerwall, it's been developed in the Western context. The user interface on that device is largely enabled through the use of GSM, smartphones. And if that is one example of, of what a user interface could look like, that's something that might work in, in West Africa. You know, you have a higher penetration of smartphones in the urban environments that we work in there. In East Africa, we're serving primarily more of a off-grid customer. In that context, 
they might not have a smartphone. So as a result, the, the mechanism of user interface needs to change. And are you coming across Tesla Powerwolves in your work? Yes and no. Um, it's kind of the benchmark. So whether or not someone's actually actively looking to buy or utilize a Powerwall, because of the notoriety of the brand, in many cases, it kind of anchors someone's understanding of what a power solution could be. We do actually have customers that use Powerwalls or try and use Powerwalls. But for the most part, it's just it's more like the target that someone's looking for. In many cases, it's at a very high level. It's not even an understanding of the value that a Powerwall gives, but it's, you know, this is the archetype for a power solution. Right. But I guess the phenomenon more generally is the variations in the type of product or product features you need to develop to cater to each of the different customer segments in each of the markets. Exactly. So as those little nuances change, the way that we would gear the product sometimes changes as well. Our objective as a business is to kind of create a building block that can be applied universally across East, West, North, South Africa. Mm -hmm. But there are nuances. And part of the challenge is then designing something that can be equally applicable despite the, the difference in geography, despite the difference in need. Great. And you mentioned that you've spent most of your time working in Nigeria and understanding the needs of a customer in, say, Lagos. But what have been the differences between the various countries that you've experienced, maybe from more of a social or cultural perspective? What have you found interesting about working across each of the different sub-Saharan countries that you've interacted with? I originally started working for Zola in Tanzania. So I lived in, in Tanzania for a year and then actually transitioned to Nigeria. Um, and then basically lived, bounced back and forth for a while. But for about a year and a half, my focus was geared specifically to Nigeria as well. I guess the first part, and I kind of pointed to this before, but it's not explicitly East-West Africa. There, you also have urban, peri-urban, and rural dynamics mixed into this as well. But one of the interesting things as a business operating in Nigeria is, Lego specifically is a very fast-paced environment. Everyone is struggling to survive. There's a much different kind of cultural setting than in Arusha, which is where our East African business was headquartered in, then was the design influence for our products. As a business, you now have to operate with a user that is, one, kind of used to fraud, two, has a different experience with solar products than in East Africa. So that was an incredibly fascinating dynamic just to understand. As we were trying to understand what financing packages might look like, for example, one thing that was incredibly fascinating to me was that there's an inherent understanding that with financing, because of interest rates, you increase what you pay over time. So there's a distrust or dislike of financing, but there's still a preference for over a short term to use it because it basically gives you um, a window to vet the product. Mm. So you get one year financing. It gives you basically six months to try out the product and to actually be sure that it delivers on, on everything that was promised. And, you know, maybe you, maybe you got one year financing, but after six months you say, actually, this is giving me everything I want. Okay. Here's all the cash. Right. So it, it does create this very complex environment to do business in. Another example would be the willingness to give information to a bank. So as we transitioned to West Africa, we brought on banking partners. We were no longer explicitly dependent on the quote-unquote Zola Bank for financing. And just the willingness to give private information to different banks was quite limited. So that was another challenge that we had to navigate from an operational perspective as a business. 
Lagos is a huge city. Like the city itself is is bigger than Lagos State, which is kind of mind boggling to imagine in its own right. But you know, it's an urban environment. Everyone has their hustle, and as a result, there's a, a greater prevalence of fraud, X, Y, Z issues. That's from a personal perspective and a professional perspective is was incredibly fascinating to learn about and and to develop solutions for. East Africa then is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. And this is also informed by working in Arusha, working in a slightly more rural setting. So you don't have that same commotion. You don't have that same hustle. You don't have that same exposure to fraud. So that kind of has significant impacts on people's outlook and also our ability to do business. People are, are much more trusting. People are much more willing to take something at face value. There's not the same expectation of fraud. There's not the same distrust of banking and financing. So in that case, the the challenge there was more like building understanding of what the products are and when what they do and and what the value is. This is different now because, you know, these businesses have been operating across East Africa for such a long time at this point that there's a much broader understanding. But in the early days, even from like an internal training perspective, it's like, what is an electron? How does electricity work? What is solar? And just based on kind of the environment that West Africa works in, there's a much deeper understanding of, of all of those variables. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. You came to Zillow Electric from a sustainable development background. And I guess then it makes a lot of sense that you started in Tanzania when the company was more focused on an off-grid rural customer market. Curious to hear more about your background and your decision to join Zola Electric and how, how you feel about that shift in going from a rural setting and a focus on off-grid communities to now more of a focus on urban communities or an, an urban customer. I entered the world of sustainable development, international development through energy access. When I was an undergrad, I had the opportunity to help design and install a microgrid in rural Zambia. And that was just by virtue of an interest very broadly at that point in the solar industry and kind of fell into this rabbit hole. And very early on, I saw this interesting relationship between the social dynamics of a community, the cultural dynamics of a community, and this technical system that was put in place. Because ultimately, electricity underlies the way that a community behaves. It underlies what a community is able to do, whether it's, you know, charge your cell phone, watch TV, power your computer, whatever. I was very interested in the socio-technical system and in the sustainability of the system as a whole. And it wasn't something that I had seen a lot of conversation about, especially in the energy access space. I mean, historically, you know, we've taken technologies that were designed for the Western world and just deployed them across the developing world and left it at that. And as a result, we've seen a lot of solutions fail from a technical standpoint because they haven't met the, the social or cultural needs. So that's then where I kind of transitioned and went more into the global development direction and just tried to understand, like, what are the pitfalls? What is the legacy of global development, which is a very fraught space? So I got my master's in sustainable development. It's called a master's of development practice. And it was just focused on the practical questions around how do you basically implement solutions designed to improve people's lives around the world? And from there, it was very much hand in hand. How do you basically interweave these challenges and and solutions of sustainable development with with energy access? 
And I guess when I was in school and in the earlier days of my career, I was very focused on energy applications. Like one of the key things that I noticed in the first microgrid that I worked on was this mismatch between appliances, like an iron, for example, and power generation technologies. As an example of, of how all this comes together, on the first microgrid that I worked on, the system failed in its early days because one of the first appliances that the users turned on was electric clothing irons. And it was kind of dismissed. Well, obviously, you just can't use those. Heat generating devices consume a lot of electricity. But that denial or the prevention of that using that appliance kind of pointed to, in my mind, something that went a lot deeper, which was, well, the system is supposed to serve the community. Ultimately, the success of this can't just be to go and say, well, you can't do X, Y, Z, because clearly that's not important enough. Ultimately, the community should be the dictator of what's important. So in my early years, I was very focused on energy uses and actually went and designed a solar compatible electric clothing iron. And that's then actually how I got introduced to Zola, um, because Zola at that point was very focused on building out their suite of DC appliances. And from there, my primary focus as a product manager for Zola was to expand that ecosystem of, of DC appliances. And then over the years, I've kind of increased that focus from appliances to our, our DC product line to our, to our AC product line and now kind of to, to all, of the, all of the above. It seems to resonate a lot with what you were saying around the product challenges as well, which is that you go from a rural setting where you can really control what kind of appliances your customer yeah. is using to then actually having to work backwards and say the customer wants to run a cooling unit or, you know, a, an iron in your case. And how do you accommodate that desire or that interest in using that product? Exactly. Yeah. And as I learned, how do you basically navigate kind of the features of the product and the price point to deliver on what the customer wants? So the better you design your product, the more you navigate the, the price question, which is kind of underlies everything mm. in this industry. Yeah, that's almost a full circle. And I guess from your work then with DC appliances and your work more broadly with the other um, appliances at Zola at the moment, how do you feel about the transition from looking at a very sustainable development focused customer in, in a rural community to a urban or peri-urban customer, say in Lagos instead? On one hand, our focus on, on the customer has to be so intense with our off-grid systems just because the margin for error is so low. That, for me, is very exciting. I love field research. I love all the pricing studies. I love all of that work. So that's very exciting. And by kind of definition, as we expand and our products try to do more for more people, it's not as easy to be as close to the user. But the trade-off is that as the perspective becomes bigger, the impact grows as well. And what's exciting in that, in that regard is that with our newer products, with Infinity and our focus on microgrids and distributed grid architecture going forward, it creates the ability to hopefully address the needs not just of urban customers, not just of higher income customers. It also creates the ability to service those off-grid customers that have historically used DC systems in a different way. So because these are problems of such scale, like 620 million people without energy access in sub-Saharan Africa alone, that then becomes incredibly exciting. 
And it's very much a kind of a navigation from a personal perspective and, and just very much how you look at it. And I think, but you've also seen as the business matures, the kind of the type of person that's attracted to it is, has changed as well. In the early days, it's people that are kind of excited very much by the humanitarian component. You're looking at someone that might have worked for Peace Corps. Now you're looking at people that are really focused on kind of that system, like the, the global level challenge and, and how do you service that challenge most effectively and most efficiently. And it's incredibly exciting addressing the problem from, from both sides. And I've been very fortunate to land in a business that has gone through that internal development and that internal trajectory as well. And I guess there are two ways in which that's reflected. I think on the one hand, you've got the name and it's gone from off-grid electric to Zola electric mm, yeah. in recent years. And that seems a reflection maybe of the area of focus as well. So curious if you could say a bit about both the rebranding of the company and why Zola, if you know what's behind that name. Yeah, actually, there's a piece there that kind of isn't visible to this side of the equation. So our customer-facing brand was never off-grid electric. Historically, our customer-facing brand was Empower, which is rooted in Swahili. The, the actual rebranding came as we understood that we wanted to expand geographically outside of East Africa. We wanted to expand to West Africa, for example. So in order to have a brand that resonated with our West African customers and now beneficially also with our global customers, we didn't want to continue to rely on the Swahili language. So Zola actually came out of the thinking that the brand needed to have kind of a, a brand that was equally resonant across sub-Saharan Africa. Zola is, is kind of a arbitrary term that, that is understood as solar. So Zola, Sola. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. I never put that together. For some reason, I, well, I look at it and I think of the the French author, but that's my background yeah, and yeah, yeah. my bias, I guess. That's Someone explained this to me multiple years ago now, but I had the same thinking. Like, why are we <laughs> associating with that author? Right. Um, Solar makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to the off-grid question, off-grid electric was something that our investor-focused brand was associated with and also our, our labs. So our team of engineers in San Francisco, for example, they worked under off-grid electric, but then all of our branding in Tanzania, for example, was all in power. Like our office in, in Arusha said in power. And then as that brand changed, we've just consolidated under Zola in terms of all of our external facing branding and, and naming goes. Great. And what are your growth plans then as a company for the next, say, three to five years? And what are the challenges that you're most excited about working on? In many cases, we're sticking to the path that we're already on, like the, the transition to this new business model being kind of distribution focused to being more global in context is not something that you do quickly. It's not something you do overnight. It's really driving that home. We just launched our Infinity product a year and a half ago. No, a little over a year ago. So we're still perfecting that for the market. That's kind of what we're already doing. So the next three to five years will in many ways be characterized by driving both of those stakes into the ground completely. Another is with what I've alluded to, which is using Infinity to support microgrids. As of today, we're able to support centralized microgrids, which is when you have one location where you generate energy, store energy, and then distribute energy to the community. So it's like the macro grid shrunken down, which is the traditional architecture. 
But the future of this, from our perspective, is known as a distributed grid, where you're taking that architecture, the the energy generation, storage, etc., and dispersing it through a community. So you can have one customer that, for example, it doesn't have to be like this, but you could have one customer that has infinite grid in their home, and it's actually interacting and sharing electricity with, with a unit that's in the home five homes down. And there are a bunch of benefits that we perceive, but this kind of goes back to the the notion about this new focus. This is taking an understanding of the large-scale inefficiencies in terms of how you invest in grid development and the challenges that come with having that centralized architecture. And understanding those higher-level challenges and then building this vision creates an exciting opportunity to work from kind of the other side of the equation back down. And I think that'll be a significant focus for us over the next three to five years as well. I I would say those are the three. So number one is just maturing our our new path to market. Number two is continuing to make sure that Infinity is is a success as a single user system. And three is fully commercializing our, our distributed grid solution as well. And that's what we call Infinite Grid. And I guess the final one is that if we think about these solutions on the spectrum of of energy solutions, you have flex on one extreme, which is lower income rural. You have infinity and infinite grid on the other, which is slightly higher income or slightly higher price point for the product on grid, off grid. And then we have this space in the middle, which sits between flex and, and the single user infinity system, which is smaller needs, smaller power consumption, smaller energy storage. So we'll also continue to fill those gaps in. One of the products that we're commercializing later this year is called Flex Power, and it's a product that has the DC architecture like Flex, but has AC output and allows you to power larger appliances. So refrigerators is really what this is targeted on. It's a refrigeration solution, but also allows you to power larger AC appliances. So fans, TVs, things that people might already have in the home or things that they might be more sensitive to the brand of. So, you know, maybe you don't want to use a Zola TV. Maybe you want to use a Samsung TV. The the idea with this product would be to give that ability. So it's kind of taking the, the benefits of efficiency from Flex, but allowing for some of the flexibility that you get with an AC solution. Great. That sounds really exciting. So I'm sure it'll be a very busy three to five years ahead. Oh, yeah, we've got our work cut out for it. <laughs> Great. We usually end our conversations with a a more lighthearted section around what books people would recommend. Are there any books that you would recommend to our listeners or books that have changed your perspective on the off-grid sector? I think one thing that's been really important for me in working in this space is kind of building up a certain humility. I think it can be quite challenging as a business taking those that work in a Western environment and then having them solve problems across cultures. I think that cross-cultural component can be quite challenging to address effectively as a business. And I think one of the things that has helped build that humility and helped build kind of the understanding of of how important it is to go really deep into the the needs of the user and, and to address those rather than your assumptions about the user has been a book called Territories of Difference, Place, Movements, Life. And I can never remember how to to say this word, but Reds, Redis, R-E-D-E-S by Arturo Escobar. This is an author who's, I think, pretty well known in the development theory space for challenging the notions of globalization, challenging the notions of how we try to solve problems across cultures and explains how culture 
evolves out of a highly localized context. And as a result, how it can be challenging to apply global solutions at that local level. And so it's not highly relevant to the field of, of energy access or, or rural electrification, but it's been very important for me in just understanding how coming from a Western perspective, kind of coming out of the tech tradition in the U.S. has its challenges cut out for it in terms of determining solutions for rural Tanzania or urban Nigeria, for example. Great. And I guess following on from that, is there any advice that you would give to someone who is looking to start working in the sector or who is maybe looking to invest within the sector too? Regardless of what job you want in the space, whether it's you know working in finance or working as a product manager or as an engineer, I think just having familiarity with the end user is critical. Even as an investor, if you're trying to understand what projects or ideas or products or teams to invest in, the more you understand the end user, I think the more you can cut through the bullshit and understand what's real and what can deliver real impact and what can't. At this point, there's so much writing just about the different needs, but regardless of where you have the opportunity in that journey to just get out and understand the different cultures that you're interested in working with, the different environments, whether it's urban Lagos or or rural Tanzania or whatever, is critical. Perfect. And just to close our conversation then, what are your predictions for the off-grid solar sector for the next five years? I think this change is embodied in what Zola is doing. I think you're seeing this convergence of products that you kind of envision in the Western sense, so inverters, batteries, etc. I think you're going to see more and more of them designed specifically for the needs of communities across like these challenging environments, just like Zola is focused on. Integration of Pago, for example, easier installation, easier service is going to be critical. I think also you're going to see more products that are addressing the challenges of microgrids are going to become critical as well. I think we've hit a saturation of solution for these smaller systems, solar home systems. I think you're going to see kind of that same brain power transition and try to solve challenges that are that are higher up on the energy ladder. Zola is, is leading the way in that regard. So I think that'll be a space that we see more and more people to try to address. So I think you'll see kind of a migration of talent and resources from the, the off-grid space into the, the higher ends of the energy ladder as we apply that same thinking and that same brain power and, and pool of resources elsewhere. So it sounds like more people will be joining you on your transition and your journey to where you are now. I think so. I hope so. Great. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much, Cameron. That's been a really fascinating and interesting conversation, certainly from a product management perspective and from the experience as well. So thank you again for joining us on Distributing Solar. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. That was our conversation with Cameron Smith from Zola Electric. If you have any questions or comments, please visit us on our website at www.distributingsolar.com. We have notes from our podcast, useful sources and contact details available. We look forward to hearing from you.